Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Our story today, The Ghost Children of the Tracks. This story is a really unusual story. What I've enjoyed most about researching it is the hundreds of reported eyewitness encounters that tend to support the story, and we'll share some of them as we go forward. This story, as you'll find out, has an interesting twist. We're headed for Texas, so dust off that Stetson and let's head for the southwest corner of the Lone Star State, specifically San Antonio. Just south of San Antonio, near the San Juan Mission, you'll hit the intersection of Shane and Villamain, and there, on Shane Road, you'll find the railroad tracks that are key to this story. They look like any other railroad tracks, except that this crossing, people have been saying, is haunted. This railroad crossing, they say, has a history. In fact, the crossing has become a notorious urban legend, based upon a real accident that took place back in the 1930s. I posted the San Antonio newspaper headline over at our 1001 Heroes Facebook site. The newspaper is the San Antonio Express. It's dated December 2, 1938, the day after the actual accident. And the headline reads, Bus train death toll could go as high as 30. So the accident involving a school bus and a train happened. But there's a twist to this legend and story, and I'll share it towards the end. Those of you who check out the newspaper story at our 1001 Heroes Facebook site will see the twist. You'll find that there are two stories, the legend and the real story. But first, the legend. Apparently, when it came to the railroad tracks, the bus stalled out. Likely the children on the bus were doing what children do, making lots of noise. It was just a few weeks before Christmas. The bus driver frantically tried to restart the engine but couldn't and had to watch helplessly as the train barreled down on them. The engineer of the train desperately tried to break the train but failed to stop it in time, and the train hit the bus broadside, splitting it in two and carrying the back half some distance down the tracks. According to this version, and we'll call it version one, ten students and the bus driver were killed, and many others were badly injured. Another telling of this legend takes place during the 1930s, or 1940s, depending on the account. And according to this variation, a bus carrying students home from school was heading toward the intersection of Villamain and Shane. When it came to the railroad tracks, the bus stalled out. The bus driver then noticed a train barreling down on them, and the driver rushed to get the children off the bus, but there wasn't enough time, and the train crashed into the bus, killing ten of the students, and the bus driver as well. Another version, found in Weird, Texas, explains the legend more suitably, but begins much in the same way. Decades ago, in the late 30s, early 40s, on an especially dark evening, a nun was driving a school bus filled with children home after a field trip. They were heading down Shane Road, but when approaching the railroad crossing, the bus abruptly stalled out on the tracks. Most of the students were sleeping, so she was quietly attempting to start the engine back up. It was then that a train emerged, seemingly out of nowhere, as its headlamp was burnt out, and because of that, it offered no warning of its impending arrival. It was too late to evacuate the children, as the train was moving too fast. The nun desperately and frantically turned the key, making one last attempt to restart the bus, just as the train smashed to the bus, cutting it in half. The nun was thrown through the windshield, but somehow miraculously survived. 
The young children were not as fortunate. They were all killed instantly. As this story goes, a few weeks later, the nun, guilt-ridden and heartbroken, returned to the site of the accident. She was unable to continue on, and thus decided to end her life. She parked her car on the tracks, and sat there waiting for the next train to come along. Later, when a train finally came into sight, speeding down toward her, in the same way as she had witnessed on that tragic night, the nun began to hear small, familiar voices. Suddenly her car began to move forward, as if it was being pushed from behind. The nun's car was soon rolled to safety, just as the train roared by. In disbelief, the nun got out of her car and began looking around, expecting to find a good Samaritan. But she didn't see a single soul. She looked back at her car and noticed child-sized handprints on the back of her trunk. It was then that she realized that the ghosts of her students had saved her life. The nun was then blessed with a newfound purpose in life, and she opened a school for orphans. She taught there till the day she died. That's version three. It is said that to this day, if anyone parks their car on or near the railroad tracks at Shane Road, ghostly children would push the vehicle to safety, as they are determined to make sure that no one meets the same gruesome fate that they suffered. This urban legend has grown so much over the years that tourists travel from all over the country so that they can bear witness to this phenomenon at the railroad crossing on Shane Road. Some will sprinkle baby powder on the back end of their car so that they can more easily spot the handprints after their vehicle is pushed off the tracks, just as the nun's car was done so many years before. There are many versions of this urban legend. Some say that the students were children. Others say they were high schoolers. Yet another version of the story focuses on the guilt experienced by the bus driver. In this version, a male, who survives, this time by leaping to safety moments before the train hit the bus. Twenty-five years later, this version has the driver living in Chicago and working as a school custodian. He tries, but can't escape the horrific memories and the nightmares they bring. This version is the brainchild of author Tim Tingle, who gives the driver a name, Alba and lists the number of children who perished at 23. He also gives names to the children, Hispanic names like Roberto, Teresita, Adela, Stefan, Ignacio, and Rebecca. In his story, the children return to haunt the tracks not only in San Antonio, but in Alba's room in Chicago, crying out to Alba, Don't go! as he recalls opening the door to the bus just before jumping out. Tingle also creates a San Antonio side to the story where every morning a mother named Hortensia wakens her ghostly grandson Roberto and walks him to the bus stop. We'll return to our story right after these sponsor messages. And now, back to our story. While the legend has its many skeptics, there are lots of accounts that tend to support the legend. These are published at Internet sites such as Yelp, Legends of America, and Reddit, Many tend to support the story that invisible forces actually pushed their vehicle up and over the tracks to safety. In reality, although most of the stories indicate that the tracks are on a slightly raised incline, the opposite is true. Actually, the approach to the tracks is slightly downhill, about two degrees. However, it's the horizon that gives the driver the impression that their vehicle is being pushed uphill. One person who tested the legend was Brenda Pacheco, a self-described paranormal expert. She writes, I put my car in neutral, took my foot off the brake pedals, and the car moved. It moved quickly toward the tracks, 
up over the bump and down the other side, well out of harm's way. Pacheco also did the baby powder test. She writes, I was so excited, I got out to check the back of my car, and there were the tiny handprints, plain and clear, and so, so tiny. The prints were so perfect, you could see the lines of the palms and the swirls of the fingerprints. Another person's encounter at the railroad tracks. I know many dispute the legend of the railroad track ghosts. However, I was witness to one very indisputable event there in my late teens, early twenties. Then she goes on to recall her experience at the railroad tracks. I once went over in my convertible with a new parakeet in the car. The bird had been chirping happily until we staged the vehicle for the tracks, when suddenly his chirping was completely silenced. It wasn't until we left the area that he began to chirp again. Curious by her bird's reaction, she decided to try the baby powder legend out for herself. She writes, I used the baby powder on my car. I had multiple small handprints. But these handprints did not belong to me, and I had no children anywhere around my car previously and was extremely meticulous about the appearance of my car. She then points out, when one washes their car with dish soap, oils from hands are removed, so no prints will remain. Many locals have claimed that you can hear the rumbling sounds of a train nearing, the steam whistle howling, and the screeching of wheels as if the train is grinding to a halt. But nothing ever appears. Nothing is there at all, except for the haunting chill of the night. A popular story that locals will tell you occurred not long after the horrific crash. It involves a woman who was driving down Shane Road late one night. As she approached the railroad crossing, she saw a little girl standing all alone on the side of the road. She immediately stopped, pulled over, and offered the girl a ride home. Once they arrived at the girl's house, the child was hesitant to leave the vehicle and head inside. The woman assumed that the girl must have run away from home after a fight with her parents. So she told the girl that she would speak to her mother. When the woman got out of the car, she looked back to give the girl a reassuring smile. But she'd vanished. The woman quickly reopened her car door, but no one was there. However, the seatbelt was still fastened. Another eerie account, which happened more recently, took place one weekend when a girl and a couple of friends made the trip to San Antonio to see the haunted railroad tracks. The girl took numerous pictures and emailed them to her mother. Their mother was shocked to discover that in one of the photos there appeared to be a ghost, a ghost of a little girl holding on to her teddy bear. This one was posted at Yelp in February of 2013. The summer after I moved to the San Antonio area in 1995, my 14-year-old daughter came to visit. She had seen an episode of some television program detailing the ghost tracks of San Antonio, so she insisted that I take her to see them. I was driving a Dodge Dakota extended cab pickup at the time, so with my brother-in-law in the passenger seat and my daughter in the back seat, we set out to find the tracks, following directions from people who had been there previously. It wasn't tough to find, and in the middle of a summer work week, the area around the tracks really did seem deserted. My daughter had the whole routine we were supposed to follow memorized, but she forgot the baby powder. Regardless, I pulled up on the tracks as instructed, put the truck in neutral, rolled down the windows, since the A.C. would go off once the truck was turned off, turned the engine off, and we sat to see what would happen. The first thing I noticed, besides the heat of the midsummer day, was the ghostly sound coming from an adjacent property, which I subsequently determined were peacocks, if you've ever heard the racket a flock of peacocks can make, you'll know what I mean. Listen to it on YouTube if you haven't. Eerie. Humor and my daughter, 
"'we sat quietly for about ten minutes with nothing happening. "'I was going to explain to her that the fact we were in the pickup truck "'could be the reason nothing was happening, "'since it was probably too heavy for the ghost children to move. "'Now, I kid you not, "'there was a sudden nudge feeling from the rear of the truck, "'almost like another car had come up behind us "'and given us a quick push. "'Nothing gradual at all, "'but an abrupt, forceful push that made our heads bounce back. "'We all spun around, expecting to see another car or something.' "'but there was nothing there. "'If you're familiar with the site, "'you know that immediately after crossing the tracks "'there's a sharp turn in the road to the right. "'So I had to refocus my attention "'on steering the truck "'as we rolled over the tracks towards the curve. "'As soon as I made the turn, "'I braked, started the truck, "'and we headed out of there. "'I have been back several other times, "'but never experienced the same results. "'Maybe the legend is true, "'and the ghost children target vehicles "'with kids in them because my subsequent visits had only adults present. I visited these tracks several times as a kid, and with my own children. True or not, can't it just be what it is? Something that as a kid you will remember, and take their kids too. It's just for fun. No money involved. Just a silly idea that keeps some life into a story that will never go away. Much rather have my kids enjoy this simple thrill versus being on the internet or texting God knows what all night. This one from March 16, 2013. We just came back from spring break 2013 from San Antonio, Texas. I was a non-believer as well, before I actually went. The first night we parked right before the tracks, truck off and in neutral. The vehicle was at a complete standstill for about a minute or two. Out of nowhere, I felt as if the truck was barely rocking. I have a rosary hanging from my rearview mirror, and it was also rocking. Then the truck started rolling across the tracks very slowly. Everyone in the truck was creeped out and wanted to leave. We were going to leave until we turned the corner and saw more cars. That gave us comfort, and we stayed and tried it more. That night we did get a handprint on the side of our truck, and a few on the tailgate. The second night we had the same experience a few times. My son snapped a picture at the same time the truck started moving, and he caught something very disturbing on camera. I had the same shot of the back of the truck twice, one completely clear, and the other was something very unexplainable. I do believe the road is slightly slanted, but where I parked there was no way it was going to move by itself. I even tried to give it a push. It didn't move easily, meaning that nothing else could have made the truck move besides whatever is out there. This one from May 2018. I'm rating this place with five stars because it's been a fave since I was little and long before me, too, by many, many people. I have read it is not true, by some writers, and attempts at scientific explanations, but boo-hiss on those people, raining on a scary fun time out. This is a place not just for locals, but great for visitors. Bring your friends from out of town here to freak them out and have some ghost stories. Bring the kids and teach them about safety and how you don't play on railroad tracks. But even more fun is to wash your car, then throw that baby powder on the back end and bumper and see what appears. It doesn't matter what time of day you go, as you can still be pushed across. Do watch out, though, because it is an active railroad, and you don't want to be entertaining the kids when a train is coming. It is, however, the most fun at night, and even better if there's a lightning storm going on. <laughs> this one, This one from October 2019. I've taken a few groups here, it's easy to find, and there's little to no weight. There's a Valero gas station nearby to dust for handprints, etc. We've had tiny handprints three out of five times we've tried. Folks often experience chill bumps. 
"'It's a fun time with locals "'because there's always other cars doing the same thing. "'Clean the windows, park in front of the tracks, "'put the car in neutral, then turn the ignition off. "'The car always goes over the tracks. "'Dust for prints with flour or baby powder. "'Sometimes people are spooked, and sometimes they aren't. "'Why not go for it? "'Then listen to everyone fight about "'whether or not ghosts exist the rest of the way back to Austin.' This one from July of 2014. These are pretty good. A myth or urban legend, the story behind the ghost tracks is worth the midnight visit. The area is very creepy, and an area you don't want to be stranded in. Whether the story is true or not, driving over the train tracks is fun and scary doing. The rules are, pour baby powder on the back end of your car, then drive up to the railroad tracks. Then put your car in neutral, and as legend has it, your car will continue over the tracks. They say the dead kids are pushing your car over the tracks, helping you cross the track that they never crossed. And this one from August 2014. I'm not sure if this actually works, but if you have some free time at night, you should make the trip purely for the novelty. It was much more crowded than I was expecting, so that got rid of a lot of the scare factor. It's just a fun trip to make. Do not forget to get some baby powder before the trip. Sprinkle it over the back of your car, Drive onto the tracks facing the forest, then put your car into neutral. See if your car gets pushed by the ghost children, and then check for tiny handprints on the back of your car in a powder. No luck for my car, but it doesn't hurt to keep trying. Who knows, maybe it's just a trick for the nearby drugstores to make more sales on baby powder. Try it for yourself. This one from February 2014. As a tourist in San Antonio, my friends took me to the famous haunted tracks. Hearing about the story of the tracks, I wanted to see if the car really moves out of the way when the car is idling on the tracks. We came here in the evening, not really late at night. I was still fascinated by how it coincides with the story. We tried it three times, and the car would be still for a few seconds, and then it moves forward off the tracks. I don't believe the ghost kids pushed our car, but I thought it was cool that we moved out of the way in a few seconds. I know the tracks are on a small slope, but to experience it was pretty cool. If you go late at night, watch for cops. They watch who comes out there and hangs out there. Also, the legend says to bring baby powder. After your car is pushed out of the way of the tracks, put baby powder in the back of your car. And they say you'll see the kids' handprints that pushed your car. We didn't have any, so we couldn't put that to the test. Try it if you're in the area. This one's from September 2015. The road's on a decline, and that's why you roll. Baby Powder shows your handprints and anyone else who's touched the trunk lid. This has been debunked every year. You want a true haunted experience? Spend the night at the Menger Hotel in downtown San Antonio. This one from February 2009. I forgot about this place. This is a must-do while living in San Antonio. It's part of the culture. Also, it's an interesting place to meet other crazy people. It's a cool place to bring people and scare the living crap out of them. The truth has been debated in San Antonio, with both residents and law enforcement officials weary of the legend. There have been countless reports of cars appearing to move on their own, with mysterious childlike prints showing up on vehicles afterward. Some have also allegedly heard the voices and laughter of children while at the railroad tracks. Not to mention the city really doesn't want locals or tourists experimenting with their cars near a railroad crossing, which apparently does not have a warning light or crossing bars. Now, as Paul Harvey used to say, it's time for the rest of the story. 
First, there are no accounts of railroad, train, school bus accidents in Texas. Well, what about the San Antonio newspaper account, you ask? Yes, that account is legitimate. However, there's nothing in the headline which says the accident took place in San Antonio. It happened 1,200 miles north of San Antonio in Utah, south of Salt Lake City. You'll find that in the caption that accompanies the front page picture and inside the story. Again, we posted it at facebook.com forward slash 1001heroes. The editor conveniently left the Utah mention out of the headline, no doubt to sell papers. And the detailed day-to-day coverage of that horrific accident ran in the San Antonio Express for the next 10 days, no doubt leaving many people, as well as generations to come, believing that it actually took place in San Antonio. It's still the worst railroad tragedy involving children in U.S. history. It happened on December 1, 1938, just south of Salt Lake City, Utah. The city was dealing with blizzard conditions, and a school bus carrying 23 Jordan High School students, ranging in ages from 12 to 18, was attempting to bring the kids home safe when the bus stalled out on the railroad tracks just as a 50-car Denver and Rio Grande Western freight train came hurtling their way. The train crew saw the bus pull up on the tracks and apply their brakes. There was a law at that time that school buses had to stop in front of the tracks. Why the bus didn't stop short of the tracks is not known, as the driver died with many of the students in the crash. As it turned out, the driver and 23 students died, and 15 survived, many of those with heavy injuries, and what turned out to be a lifetime of nightmares for most of them. The South Jordan community is about 10 miles south of Salt Lake City. At this point, I'm going to bring up another post, which is important to the story. It reads, I remember a long time ago, in yet another life, I learned to drive a bus. I was in the service, and we wanted to use a morale, welfare, and recreation bus to take a group of us to a concert. In order to do this, four of us went to the classes to learn to drive a bus. I figured, how hard can it be? I could drive a tractor-trailer. I didn't realize some of the rules that were involved when you have passengers on a bus. The biggest thing that stuck with me was that you have to stop at railroad crossings, even ones no longer in use that are not signed, and open the door and window to listen for trains. My instructor told me it was because a bunch of school kids were hit by a train. It was bad weather, and the driver couldn't see, and the driver couldn't see anything. If he'd opened that door, there was a chance he could have heard that train coming. And here's the story. On the morning of December 1st, 1938, a school bus driven by 28-year-old Ferald Silcox wound its way through the southern end of the Salt Lake Valley. Silcox was picking up students from Riverton, Bluffdale, South Jordan, and Crescent, now part of Sandy, the area around 11,000 south and State Street, for delivery to Jordan High School. A snowstorm had blanketed the southern end of the valley that morning, and visibility and driving conditions were difficult. Having picked up 38 students, Silcox took the bus north on 300 West, which ran adjacent to the Denver and Rio Grande Western Railroad main line into Salt Lake City. Silcox ran a tight ship on his bus, and the students were talking quietly. At about 10,200 south, only a few blocks from the high school, the road took a 90-degree turn across the tracks, called Burson's Crossing, before continuing north. Just before 9 a.m., the bus paused at the crossing, and then, to the horror of onlookers, proceeded onto the tracks directly into the path of the 85-car Flying Ute Fast Freight. 
The Flying Ute was the D&RGW's second-class freight, carrying loads from Pueblo, Colorado, to Salt Lake City, at the same speed as a passenger train. It, too, had been delayed by the snow, coming through Helper and Soldier Summit, reaching Provo four hours late. Led by a 314-ton Challenger locomotive, the train was part of a new generation of fast steam trains capable of speeds up to 70 miles per hour. Approaching Bergen's Crossing, the train was traveling just over 50 miles an hour at that time. As required to by law, the train crew, who saw the school bus paralleled to, and ahead of them, blew their horn for around 1,500 feet, approximately 20 seconds, before reaching the crossing. The bus Silcox was driving was unheated, except for a defroster for the front windshield. With the cold weather, the windows were closed and covered in condensation. Pausing at the crossing, the driver could neither see nor hear the oncoming train. As the bus moved forward, the fireman on the locomotive called a warning to the engineman. The engine man hit the emergency brakes, but a train that size takes nearly half a mile to stop. Most of the body of the bus was thrown a hundred feet from the tracks, while the steel chassis was wrapped around the front of the locomotive and dragged for half a mile, scattering band instruments, school papers, and the bodies of students all along the way. First responders gathered as many ambulances as could be found to take the injured, dying, and dead to Salt Lake General Hospital at 2100 South State Street. Parents gathered at the site, checking the bodies as they were loaded to try to find their children. The ambulances with living patients raced at 70 miles per hour to the hospital, while those carrying the dead traveled without lights or sirens, passing students waiting to be taken home from Jordan High, where classes had been canceled in light of the tragedy. Of the passengers on the bus, 23 students and the driver were killed or died of their wounds in the next few days. The other 15 lived, although seven had been seriously injured, and many bore the effects of their injuries through their entire lives. In the aftermath of that accident, the Interstate Commerce Commission, which oversaw the operations of railroads, investigated. They determined that Silcox had not been able to see or hear the oncoming train. They recommended that school buses be required not only to stop at railroad crossings, but also to open their doors. This would allow them to both see and hear oncoming trains, unobstructed by foggy windows or noisy students. Over the next few years, spurred by this and other similar tragedies, every state adopted the recommendation. So if you ever find yourself waiting on a school bus at train tracks and shaking your head in wonder, or maybe frustration, as you might be in a hurry, as you see them open the bus doors, now you'll know why they do. The Jordan High crash is neither the worst train crossing accident in U.S. history. The 1963 Chualar crash in Salinas, California, killed 32 migrant workers and injured 25. Nor the worst school bus accident. There have been a number with more fatalities. However, it was the worst school bus accident, which involved being hit by a train. However, it was important because of the youth of its victims and the changes to security procedures it spurred. It also provides a good model for responding to tragedy from the response of police and fire personnel, the gathering of the communities around the families of the victims, investigation by proper authorities, and recommendation and adoption of measures to reduce the risk of reoccurrence. A memorial was erected on the 75th anniversary of that tragic accident. And that law is still in effect in every state all these years later. 
Is it possible that the news coverage of the Salt Lake City's crash became blurred over time with San Antonio folklore, with later generations adopting the story as their own? If that's the case, why aren't there other similar stories throughout America? Why is that story limited to San Antonio? And why are there so many first-hand accounts at the railroad tracks in San Antonio? If you're a staunch believer, you should make that trip out to San Antonio. Travel down Shane Road toward the railroad crossing and experience the phenomenon for yourself. If you do, keep in mind that many visitors bring gifts for the ghostly children, such as crucifixes, rosary beads, flowers, and toys. Some even write messages on the railroad tracks, wishing the children peace. Believers believe that hopefully, one day, the ghost children of the track will find their peace and finally cross over. But if you really want to commemorate the dead, head for Salt Lake City. There are no ghostly legends surrounding the dead from Jordan High School in 1938. You don't need to bring flowers or crosses, and you don't need to dust your back trunk or bumper with powder. There is a memorial located at the crossing where that bus was pulverized. The one good thing that came of it was the law that states the school bus driver, upon approaching railroad tracks, must open his doors and listen for the sound of an oncoming train. So you can't say they died for nothing. They left a legacy that's known to a lot more people than child-sized ghosts that helped to push cars to safety. It's strange how these urban legends work, but it is nice every now and then to get to the bottom of one of them and find out how these stories are dreamed up, elaborated, and spread through the years. And now you know the rest of the story. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. We hope you enjoyed the story, and if you do, please share with others, and please do take a moment and send us a review. I wanted to let you know, if you haven't heard it yet, but for the new year, we're introducing two new podcasts. One is called 1001's Best of Jack London, and the other is called 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Check them out at your favorite podcast location. Until next Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, everybody. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon.